and when you make a massive change in your life, it's really interesting to me because the same thing happened when I stopped drinking. Mm. It was like all of a sudden you make the significant change that you think just affects you, but it can be incredibly confronting for the people around you who see that you're doing something really positive and see that you're becoming more educated and more inspired and more yeah, empowered yeah. and stronger. And they want to challenge that because they're like, well, what about us? What about yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the greatest podcast on planet Earth, bar none. But this one's going to be even better than usual. Always. Always, always, always. Um, as you can tell, we've already been having a bit of a laugh um, <laughs> prior to us jumping on air. And that's because we have a very special guest, Nick. We always have special guests. Like people keep saying to us all the time, it's like, man, like your guests just keep getting better and better and better. I say, yeah. And I'm just like, obviously. Connections. <laughs> when you got a budget this big, like Bro, you can it's make anything crazy. happen. It's, it's crazy. crazy. You don't have million dollar guests. Spotify hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be paying for these guests anymore. It's we good don't. to be on yours. But look, we got a very special guest. And like a lot of people have been saying, Femi, no, actually a lot of people say Nick, been gaining a bit of weight. <laughs> you're saying Femi correct yourself and go back to Nick, you Nick you've been getting a bit of weight <laughs> get someone on that can you know change you know rewind the clock because it's going a bit crazy if you know Nick in 2016 he was a machine yeah still a machine but still there but look we got someone that can fix that <laughs> fix what cover of women's health yes sir celebrity trainer Athlete talks about racism, religion within <laughs> half an hour of not yeah. seeing someone. Yeah. All about that action. Yeah. <laughs> None other than the one and only Miss Action Alexa. What's going on? Oh, look, I'll pay you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> Best podcast ever. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was so funny, but that was also so facts as well. Within facts. 30 minutes, I'm just trying to get my laptop out to connect. There's like, what do you think about what's going on in the USA? I'm like, <laughs> yo, I don't know, but I got to get it No, but I love that because we're, we're the same. We're the exact same. As soon as we meet someone, no small talk, what's goody? Like, what's really, really yeah. good? 100%. You got to find out those important issues right exactly. off the bat. Yeah. And that's how you connect with people anyway. Exactly. Man. It's like none of this superficial stuff. It's like, let's get straight deep. Real talk, real mm. talk. I feel like, yeah, I feel like now I'm like, I feel like you know me and I know oh, you. You know so much about yeah. me already. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys want to know, just pay me. Um, <laughs> I'll send you a PDF and a USB. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> so what's been happening though? Like, I know we've talked about this a little bit off air, but you know, the viewers want to know what's been happening with you. How's your life been recently? Like what's been happening? You know, I have no complaints mm. and this is probably going to go against the grain. Um, like I said to you at the beginning, like for me, this whole scenario has been one big opportunity to reassess everything that I'm doing. Um, and, you know, the only thing that I feel bad about is the fact that I feel slightly guilty that I'm as okay as I am. Mm. But that comes back to the fact that I've had some really awful shit happen in my life and for me this is nothing and I guess if you've got like such a a reference point that's up here in terms of trauma and pain and tragedy mm. then a pandemic will fuck dealt with far worse than that so you know mm. if you've got a reference point like that it's much easier for me to see an opportunity as opposed to a complete setback 
and that's yeah, what I've been working with. Definitely. So, and that's even what we've been saying, like in our podcast as well. It's like because it, we obviously come from like our background is in Africa, obviously, <clears throat> or we're Nigerian, and our parents have gone through far worse. Yeah. Mm. So every time they see us complaining or bitching about whatever stuff, they're like, bro, like relax. Like you're in Australia, you got your cousin, you got your family back home that are going through far worse. And it puts mm. things in perspective a lot. Yeah. And it really helps a lot when you're doing any other endeavors in your life. You're just like, you always have that perspective. And yeah. you know you're mm. going to get through it too, right? Like if mm. you've been through bad stuff and you've come out the other side and you've learned and you've grown and you maybe use your experiences to help mm. other people, you understand that you got through it. So yeah. you know mm. that whatever life throws at you, you're going to make it through. If someone's never had anything bad happen to them in life, they don't know that. They have yeah. absolutely no idea how they're going to make it through because this is the worst thing that's ever happened literally, to them. Literally, so. literally, literally. There's always so much benefit. You know what I mean? There's like always benefit to going through the hard times. And we did a podcast about that, about really like just leaning into some, some of the heartache that you go through because when situations like this happen, you're much more equipped. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're much more solid in this. Just like, you know. Obviously, as we will talk, we'll talk to Nick about it later about going to the gym. So when you go, Nick doesn't know much about going to the gym, but when you go to the gym, Nick, you put resistance on. The more resistance that you put on, the stronger you are. You know what mm. I mean? He's going over his head. Anyway. <laughs> but no, that's so funny. Just take a step back for a second. Remember who introduced you to the gym? But anyway, you should have seen this guy when he. Uh, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Oh, good. Oh, good. It's a, I'm a nice guy, as you can see. <laughs> no, but seriously, like when you go, when you put a lot of resistance on it, you're much more equipped to lift that or or more weight yeah. later on. Mm. And it's the same thing with this situation. It's just like when you go through, which we've all gone through this COVID thing, we're at the end of it. We understand, well, hopefully, at the end of this whole COVID situation, and we understand, look, you know what? Two months was really, really shit, if it was. Yeah. But like now, for next time, you can understand that like, I went through two months of actual heartache and suffering. Mm. I can go through something difficult next time as well. Well, so, that's how you build resilience, right? 100%. That's what it's all about. Mm. And that, I mean, I use... Physical training for me is just a modality of teaching people resilience. Yes. Because every time you come in your building on you know the last thing that you did and it's funny because i did a post yesterday on the fact that there is a massive difference between something being really really hard mm. and not being able to actually do something mm. you're not gonna fucking jump off the ground flap your wings and be able to fly like a bird mm. but you absolutely can pick that heavy object off the ground mm. or do that set of burpees you know it's gonna suck and you know it's not going to feel good and you know it's going to feel incredibly hard but you know you can still actually do it yeah and there's so. it's recognizing that difference and if you know what hard feels like then you just took that out of my car i was like excuse was very, me that was very smooth <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but when you know what hard feels like you mm. can then make the decision as to what you do with that mm. but you know that you can choose to do it because you know you can actually do it versus mm. it being absolutely you know, physically mm, impossible. So. 100%. And I saw that person. I really liked it. That actually resonated a lot. Did with you that. actually like it though? Because if you didn't like it and it's not social well, it media, doesn't it doesn't count. count. It does, it well, you have like 100,000 <laughs> likes and anyway, but so you would have seen it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. And obviously like, we're going to go into a little bit more detail about it, but like your childhood and your upbringing, like I think that shaped a lot of who you are. We always talk about like the trauma and the experiences that you have when you're younger. You really can use that and it's the catalyst to really be able to sh bring you out to who you're going to be at the moment. Yeah. And I wanted to start off by asking you like, what was that childhood like? It was a bit different to what most, the average we can say, quote unquote, would go through. So how was yeah. that for you? I grew up in the military. 
So mm. both my parents were military. My dad was a major in the British Army. My mum was a medic in the British Army specialising in gunshot wounds. Oh, wow. So they went <laughs> to war. Um, yeah. So I grew up, I was born in Scotland. I was christened in Edinburgh Castle. That was my claim to fame, military christening. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in England, Ireland and Germany in military school until I was 10. So yeah. for me, I didn't see my family a whole lot, but I had this huge other family. Um, you know, my earliest memories of my dad and me sitting on his leg, begging him not to leave the house to go to war. Wow. You know, and of him coming back from the Falklands War with... Um, a bullet wound track across his ear where he could have died, you know? So I have all those early memories, but I have all these memories of being left by myself all the time because my parents were out at war, you know, saving lives or doing their thing. And so I essentially grew up by myself and I didn't have any siblings. So I learned from a very young age to be self-sufficient, to be independent, to entertain myself, to look after myself, but also all the other great things like to be adaptable, to learn how to make friends with people really easy, to learn how to connect really easily, but then Mm. also disconnect when I had to. Mm. So all of those things, while you have this massive family and you learn how to be part of a community and to work as part of a team, you also have this incredible independence Mm. that is ingrained in you from this early age. So Mm. for me now, you know, I find it really easy to be by myself. It'd be awesome to share it with someone, but I'm not perplexed or I'm not um I don't feel sad that I'm by myself and I'm Mm. not lonely because I've lived my entire life like this Mm. anything else is a bonus yeah wow that's really awesome that's really interesting actually Mm. because I didn't realize the extent of that so how was that kind of like when you went through obviously as a childhood living your life independently did that ever have any awkward or negative ramifications growing up because a lot of the time like naturally people will crave that kind of connection Mm. or crave that kind of like socializing so like how did i did you see anything coming up growing up that you would have been like oh i attribute that to the way i was raised or not really i mean look the most it's funny because a lot of people think that because I'm an only child, I'm going to be really selfish mm. and I'm completely the opposite. Like I'm very selfless and I don't mm. actually know where that came from, but I, all the stuff to do with resilience um, and being able to do things by myself and get on top of things and fall flat on my face and have to pick myself up. You learn to rely on yourself. Mm. Um so I think the qualities that I learned have a good and bad side. Mm. Like I learned how to be really independent and self-sufficient, but it now means that I find it really difficult to ask for help or mm. to take help when it's given because I'm like, well, no, I can do this all myself. <laughs> yeah. So even when it comes to dating, you know, like a guy opens the door for me and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> or, you know, hell no, I'm going to pay for my own dinner. You know what yeah. I mean? So there is definitely parts of it that were really good and taught me to like all the good stuff and how to rely on myself and how to be independent. But now it's kind of like having to also learn how to be soft and how to be vulnerable and how to ask for help. Mm. And I didn't really learn to do that until I had my hip replacement, which would have been two years ago now Mm. when I had no choice but to ask for help. So it's kind of like, it's a really interesting continuum. All of the Mm. qualities that you grow up with, they can be really, really good but they can also have a massive downside yeah, and it's just yeah. finding the people to teach you those lessons. Mm. So what about, let's talk about, let's just jump a bit forward. Mm. I, I want to talk about mm. the hip issue. The hip, mm. hip side. What was that like? How did that happen? What was that like the recovery? What was that whole situation like? 
That was probably the most painful experience of my life. Um, I, in 2017, I was diagnosed with degenerative osteoarthritis. So if you don't know what it is, it basically means that I had the hip of a 65 year old. So I was 38, I had a hip of a 65 year old and I went pretty much in the space of eight months from being an athlete to somebody who couldn't even walk across a room unassisted. Mm. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I would literally have to pick my leg up Mm. and move it out of bed. I couldn't sleep because I was in that much pain through my leg that it kept me up all night. And I had taken so many painkillers that I none of them worked anymore. Um, I couldn't get out of the shower to put my pants on because I couldn't stand on one leg. I couldn't train, which was my therapy right from when I was 15 years old. That was my identity. Like my mantra is when I feel physically strong, I think strong thoughts. And all of a sudden, your whole identity pretty much overnight is taken away. You're isolated because you can't train. You're not with your team anymore. You can't hang out with your friends. Mm. You can't do the things that bring you joy. So Mm. self-care 101, do the things in life that bring Mm, you joy. Couldn't do any of that. I couldn't take care of myself. And I didn't know who I was. And I was like, who am I if I can't train in the gym, if I'm Mm. not physically strong, Mm. if I can't train my clients? Like, this isn't just my life. It's my livelihood. Mm. That's what I do for a job. Um, and I, I saw five orthopedic surgeons, all of whom said to me, if you don't have a full hip replacement, you are not going to walk again. And I was like, shit. Okay. And I was like, all right, fine. I'm an athlete been through injuries before. I can hundred percent do this. I'm going to go into hospital. I'm going to have the hip replacement. I'm going to come out. I'm going to be on crutches. I'm going to nail my rehab. I'm going to be bionic woman, like literally, but shit never goes to plan. Mm. And I was admitted into hospital on the 12th of August, 2017 at 8 a.m. And at 12 p.m., I woke up in ICU on a breathing tube, unable to breathe by myself with three of my best mates standing over my hospital bed, bawling their eyes out. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And it turns out that I had died in surgery. I'd had an anaphylactic reaction to my antibiotics and I had to be resuscitated four times so yeah if you're going to do something do it well (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was just this incredible experience in that you know i had 137 messages like dms on instagram asking me if i saw jesus or if i had a conversation or if there was a white light and there wasn't but there was this absolute moment of clarity when i woke up as to the type of person i wanted to be and the type of energy I wanted to bring to the people and places around me. And the last thing that I had done before I went into surgery was deliver a mental health presentation in a school in Townsville. It had one of the highest suicide rates in Australia. Mm. Um, one of the kids had lost her father, her uncle, and her best mate in the space for year to suicide. Mm. And as I was sharing my story, this young girl in the front row was like bawling her eyes out. And I was like, shit, man, I've really triggered something. Like, I'm going to be really careful. Mm. And she waited until everyone had gone. And she came up to me afterwards and she gave me the most massive, the most beautiful hug. And I still get emotional thinking about it now. And she turns and she's like, I just wanted to say thank you because today you saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there going, I wonder how I did that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And she was like, today was the day I was going to kill myself. Oh, wow. But hearing you share your story has made me realize that I am not alone and I'm going to ask for help. And I just remember standing there just thinking, Jesus Christ, like, this is what life is about. Those moments and those conversations. And that is the first thing that I remembered when I woke up in ICU. Mm. And I was like, I want more of those moments. And I want more of those conversations. And it was like, it was one of those moments in life, like an epiphany, where you kind of go up until that point, I would have told you I had a job. 
job I loved, mm-hmm. but a job. After that point, it was like I had this purpose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is what I'm here to do, to have those conversations. Oh, I love that. Oh, You've said so much good things at the moment. There's so much I can carry on from. <laughs> but what I want to do, and I hope the listeners here can like keep on track, is that I want to take it a step back a little bit. Mm. And I want to talk about, obviously, prior to the hip operation, yeah. like I know for me, like when I first started exercising, going to the gym, it was off the back of maybe some self-confidence issues, right? Yep. Like I've, I find that people don't naturally just go to the gym, put themselves through that kind of like, you know, strictness or diet or whatever it is off the back of nothing. There's usually yeah. something that motivates them and encourages them to keep doing it. And I'm curious for you, because obviously if your hip operation was like that happened and like now like something that was your therapy is now taken away from you. Like I could only imagine what kind of triggering points that may have had for you in your life. So can we take it a step back to yeah. what was that like growing up with your body? Was there any insecurities you faced? What made you use the gym as your go-to place? When I was 15, two things happened. One, my mum was diagnosed with manic depression. Two, I was bullied at school for being too skinny. My nickname mm. at school was Alexa Anorexa. Mm. And when everything happened, like when my mum was diagnosed, it was like my whole life changed overnight. Mm. Um, you know, my mum essentially became a stranger to me. My dad didn't know she was. I didn't know she was. She, I mean, she literally didn't know she was half the time. Mm. And... <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. There was, you know, back in those days, and this is showing my age a little bit, but back in those <clears> days, there was no awareness or education or resources or support networks surrounding mental illness and suicide at mm. all. So, you know, I didn't know if it was even appropriate to have a conversation. I didn't know who would be able to give me any answers. And if you asked me what my dad thought about it, I wouldn't have been able to tell you because not once did we have a conversation about what was going on in our family? Mm. Um, When I was 17, and it would have been two weeks before my university entrance exams, my mum tried to take a life and I walked in. So I walked in at the moment that she was about to do it and I just remember thinking, what the fuck? Mm. Because I had no idea that she was at a point where she felt like that was an option. Mm-hmm. And it really made me question everything. And, you know, it's interesting because they talk about surviving suicide. Mm. Our Like she survived, but our relationship didn't, mm. you know, and I never knew how to fix it because I just didn't understand. And I still think back and I truly believe that now if there had been all the resources and the support networks and the awareness that there is now, it wouldn't have changed her diagnosis, but it would have changed the way that I dealt with it and, you know, the support and the love that we were able to offer as a family because we just didn't get it. Mm. And it's, I think it's the only regret I have to this day is not having the ability and not having the understanding or the capacity to give her the love and support she deserved or even to mend that relationship. Because when she did die, I I hadn't fixed it. Mm. And it's the only regret I have in my life. So it's it's why now like I'm such a huge advocate for like people building those bridges and, you know, mending those relationships and being the bigger person and being kind and compassionate regardless because you never regret that shit. Yeah. Mm. You regret not doing that shit. Yeah, exactly. But going back to your question, like after that all happened, my mum was like put on this 
whole plethora of antipsychotics and steroids. My dad self-medicated by drinking, so he became Mm. a full-blown alcoholic, Mm. and I went to the gym. Mm. The gym for me, the training, the weights room, that was my therapy. That was my safe place. That was my sanctuary. It was the first place I felt empowered and inspired, and I found these people who really wanted to support me. Mm. And it was probably the first time that I ever truly understood the connection between what it was like to feel physically strong and develop that physical strength mm. and then how that changed my attitude and the mental toughness and the resilience that came from being in that environment. And that's mm. something that has basically saved my life on a number of occasions. Mm. Yeah. Extraordinary. I don't think that people, a lot of people would have heard that and let that go over their heads, what you just said. Like that's a huge, huge, mm. huge statement. And I think that it's like, so many people go through a lot of tough things, but the choices that you made are what allowed you to be here. Mm, and that's huge. And that's huge because like no one can take away from how difficult your situation was. But I think that you had a lot of resilience, a lot of power to be able to make that choice. So I want to ask you because it's it's not necessarily a automatic reaction to find a solace or to find a, mm. a safe haven. What made you make that decision? What made you make like go to the gym when things were going really, really tough. I met some extraordinary people, um, you know, and I was really lucky in that my first experience in the gym was with people who were supportive mm. and positive and uplifting and mm. had similar experiences. Mm. You said at the beginning, like no one really goes to the gym for aesthetics. People go for a fucking reason. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that reason may be, because they're not satisfied with the way they look, they're not satisfied with the way they feel about themselves, someone else has made a judgment call that has affected the way that they feel about themselves, Mm -hmm. or they want to feel and look a certain way. And somewhere along the way, that journey changes. Mm. You know, and for me, I met these incredibly supportive people at the gym who gave me such a positive experience and empowered me that enabled me to make some really great choices going forward. And, you know, it's still that sense of empowerment. That's something that I want to use the gym for as Mm. a modality, as a tool to give to other people. Like if I can give people that same experience and that same ability and empowerment and education and inspiration to make Mm. those good choices using that space, a space Mm. that I'm really passionate about, fuck, that's what life is about. You know, Mm. that's where you find your purpose. Yeah. What was the hardest part on that journey in terms of like going in the gym and trying to make that decision and trying to like recoup yourself? What was the hardest part in that journey? That I was still getting bullied the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same when you make a massive change in your life. It's really interesting to me because the same thing happened when I stopped drinking. Mm. It was like all of a sudden you make the significant change that you think just affects you but it can be incredibly confronting for the people around you who see that you're doing something really positive and see that you're becoming more educated and more inspired and more Mm. empowered and stronger. And they want to challenge that because they're like, well, what about us? us?" (laughs) And it's the same thing. Every time you, you know, you do that, Mm. it doesn't matter what stage of life you're at. I was just really lucky that I had people around me that helped me Mm. be stronger than those other people who didn't want me to progress past them or didn't want me to make better choices, Mm. you know? And yeah, it's, it was hard. It was hard then being in a place where I felt like I was making really good choices and then going home and seeing the poor choices that my parents were making, you know, because my dad was then, you know, he was an alcoholic and 
I'd be lying if I said I was like a goody two-shoes at that point because I had like probably from 15 to the age of 27, I had two sides to my life. Mm. I had the side that went to the gym from Monday to Friday and I had really great people around me and I felt really awesome and I was really fit and I was really happy. And on the weekends I hung out with, I wanted to be, I wanted to be part of the crew. So I then, I would make poor choices in the weekend Mm. and I would go out drinking, Mm. you know? So it was like this, this double life I was essentially living and it, it translated the whole way through my life. Like it was kind of like two sides of a coin. The gym gave me the sanity I needed and the strength I needed after a weekend of making really shitty decisions, Mm. you know? So it was interesting. And I learned that from my dad, you know, like that was my dad's coping mechanism. And I got into that one to feel a connection with my dad, but also to feel a kinship and feel part yeah. of another community because what they say the option of opposite of addiction is connection mm. i wanted to feel connected and my way of feeling connected with school was to drink my way of feeling connected to myself during the week was to go to the gym yeah. and so like you know when it probably hit an all-time low for me when i was at university and i basically just drank my way through so i got into managing bars and that's mm. how i fed my addiction so i would go to the gym mm all the way through the week and then from Thursday to Sunday I would literally finish work I'd get drunk on my shift and then I'd go to the gym and then I'd go home and sleep mm. like that was my life it was crazy yeah. mm. I really yeah. love how you bring up the, the topic of alcohol addiction because I don't think it's something that we actually talk about a lot yes. mm. um, I was even doing some research prior to this but it shows that like one in six people suffer through um, alcohol abuse and even in our hospital, what we see as when presentations come in, like a lot of people come off the back of, you know, alcohol abuse yeah. and they withdraw from not taking alcohol. So it becomes very difficult to start giving that up. And obviously that was something for you, like you had like that double life that you were living where it's like, yes, I'm doing all these good things. But, I, you know, after that, I'm like, I'm feeding this addiction. When did you, when, how was that transition period when you're like, you know what, I'm finally giving the quits. I know you were talking about after... Well, I like, I, I drank up until I was 27. I've been sober now for 11, nearly 12 years. Wow. Yeah. It was the best year. It was the hardest decision I ever made. Like I still remember, that's a fun story. When I was 24 and I was at a pub and I was, see, I was the girl that when I drank, like I was the fun, the party Mm. girl, you know, I'd go to the bar. Everyone wanted tequila shots. Everyone was my best friend. Everyone (laughs) wanted to slut drop on the dance floor because that was awesome. We looked really hot. Did not look hot. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like I was, yeah, I was you just never drinking thinking you can dance. Yeah. You can't. Um, but I was, you know, I was the life and soul of the party, but I was also the girl who drank with no off switch. I drank mm. until I passed out, until I threw up or until I got myself in a really dangerous situation. Mm. Um, and I remember at being at someone's birthday party and having one of my best friend's boyfriends come up to me and be like, you know what, Alexa, your friends really love you but it's really hard to be your friend when you drink. Mm. He is now Jacinda Arden's partner. Oh, what? There you go. He probably- Jacinda what? The Prime Minister of New Zealand. So Clark Clark Gayford was the guy that came up and said that to me at a party. How good is that? No one else in the whole of anywhere knows that. I've never told him. He was the one, he was the first person who came up and was brutally honest with me. And I cried and I got really upset and I drank some more because I didn't want to hear it. And it would take me- another yeah another three four years five years to actually quit and because i still didn't after that i got myself into situations where i was almost raped i 
you know, I got myself into situations where I got out of a taxi one night, fell over, hit my head on the curb and ended up in Ivy in hospital and lied about it. Like I got myself into some really serious situations. Like I was, I would go missing. I wouldn't tell anyone where I was. Like I was a dangerous, I got to a point where I was a dangerous drunk. And it's funny now when I talk to people who talk about this balance, especially in the fitness industry, where you train during the week, mm. where you have this life, where you make all these great decisions. And then the weekend you go out and drink and you drink all weekend. If you're binge drinking in the weekend, just because you're not an alcoholic does not mean you don't have a drinking problem. Yeah. And I have a real problem with people insinuating that that is fucking balance. It is not balance. Mm. If you are drinking past the point of where you have control mm. and you're drinking all weekend, you have a problem. I'm mm. sorry, but you do. Mm. And that's the culture that we have created for ourselves. And it took a long time for me to be comfortable going out because there was so much judgment attached to being sober. Yeah. Mm. They're like, oh, well, you're so fucking boring. Like, or you mm. think you're better than us. I'm like, no, I just made a choice. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. You know, it can be incredibly confronting for the people around you because they feel like you are directly challenging their lifestyle choices. Yeah. And I found like for me in Hong Kong, like Hong Kong, that's where I quit. Because I went to, my dad died of alcoholism in the end. He was a functioning alcoholic until he was just an alcoholic, until he died of liver cirrhosis as a direct consequence mm. of being an alcoholic. Mm. And I went to his funeral in New Zealand. I drank his last bottle of whiskey. I danced on tables. I fell off tables. I threw up all over myself. I missed my flight home. And I woke up in the morning and went, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. And it was the last time I touched alcohol. Wow. Wow. And no one believed me because I was the girl that every Monday would come in and be like, I'm not drinking ever again. You know, we hear it all the time. Yeah. Um, and if you're getting to that point, you have a fucking problem. No, exactly. If you're getting yeah. to a point where you have to have that conversation with yourself every week, there is a problem. You are not drinking responsibly. Mm. 100%. You know, and I, I quit. And then, yeah, I would go out and I would have all this judgment. And for me, it was basically social suicide. Yeah. It wasn't until like now I go out now. My friends love me. Because I am an epic designated driver. And, you know, they're at the bar getting a glass of water. Before I've even, yeah, you know, yeah. before I've even had to ask. Yeah. But it's amazing how, like, having the wrong people around you who enable you. Yes. Because they're enabling themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really interesting for me. Yeah. I think that what you said is really important. The people around you is a really big, like, they show their colors in times of mm. tough times, right? Mm. And it's just like... If you've got friends that you're going through something, you're trying to do something positive in your life and they're trying to make you do what you know is not best for you and you know yeah. that it's not actually conducive to your life and doesn't serve your purpose and they're still forcing you or encouraging you to do the shit that isn't good for you, mm. you need to take inventory and take stock take on your friends and really, really decide whether they're the people you want to have around you. 100%. Get rid of the viruses. 100%. Honestly. 100%. <laughs> yeah, if you got shit made, sack them. Like, 100%. long story short, because I feel like we see a lot of people that are like, even stuff like, um, little stuff like, I've been on a journey of like, with me and my partner, we've stopped swearing just as like a like a thing that we've tried to stop swearing like just as like a little thing because yeah. like like again we had like i was swearing way too much and like it was affecting like i wouldn't sometimes i wasn't like actually swearing at appropriate times okay so it became an issue for me right and, and even with her as well so like but even still and it's like but if i have friends that are like saying Ah, who cares? Just swear whenever. Like that's not conducive to what what I want to do, do and yeah. what's actually beneficial to me. And you're not actually respecting the fact that like this is an issue for me. It's not just like I swear once a month and I want to stop. Like that doesn't make sense. But yeah. it's like like if I'm swearing, sometimes I'm accidentally swearing 
to my manager or yeah, you just comes mean? up. Just comes up. Or even sometimes, I remember one time I was like, I used to work in a call center because I used to wear so much. I almost accidentally said like the c word to the customer. Yeah. It's just like whoa, like it's it's becoming a problem. It yeah, becomes right. a problem, yeah. and then you don't realize it because it's like it's it's, it's a habit, habitual. Yeah, and it's like sometimes you be on the phone with a client, it's like nah, see, yeah. Yeah, you, know I mean? like yeah. you can't do that. So yeah. it's like if, if it's becoming something that's not conducive and not serving you, you need to eradicate it. And the same thing with you, with your, um, with what we were talking about earlier. So it's like if you have friends that are not actually supporting you and understanding that this isn't me just trying to be better than you, yeah. it's me just trying to be a better version of myself. Then I think you really need to be really honest with yourself about what type of friend that is. Exactly. 100%. I had this thing where like someone was asking me about what you know, social media in general. And I was like, it's exactly like your friends. Like if your friends or your social circle, if they are not empowering you or inspiring you or educating or challenging you to be better, mm. then what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. But the truth amongst all of this is that it's hard, especially when you've grown up with like, you're surrounding yourself with people that like you're so close to you, but now you've decided to make that decision to do something that's best for you. How do you battle that temptation? You know, like you go out with your friends that, that was a part of your identity at one point yeah. and now I'm trying to make this transition. How do you battle that temptation of your friend being like, oh, just have one or just do mm. this? Like, because I think a lot of people struggle with that where it's like they try to make a change yeah. but the reason why they fall back into the cracks was again, the environment's not conducive to their goals and they fall back into temptation. Uh, how do you break For that? For me, it was a purpose bigger than myself. Like, mm. and it's it's interesting now because being that I'm a non-drinker and I've done so many interviews on it, like it's in all the Daily Mail things. Like if you mm. Google my name, that's the first thing that comes up. Like, mm. you know, personal trainer, 39, battles alcohol addiction and turns it, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's yeah. what comes up. Um, but for me, you know, if people come in and they're like, the first thing they want to do, they're like, you know what, I want to lose weight and I feel like I'm going to give up alcohol and that's going to be the way I'm going to do that. I'm like, if that is your reason for giving up alcohol, like an addiction, you're never going to achieve it. Like, good luck with that. Mm, it's not going to mm. happen for me it was nothing to do like it might have started off as like a, a weight thing or i just wanted to feel healthier for me and it's really sad that this has to happen but it's true it's like any hollywood movie the main actor or the hero of it has to fall from grace and hit absolute rock bottom until there is no other alternative but to make a decision mm. and that's what happened for me i'd almost been raped i'd been in a car accident i had you know, put myself in hospital and then my dad died. Mm. And I was like, where is the point where you go? Like what's below that? Mm. There is nothing, mm. you know? And if I don't make a choice here, my life is going to be very fucking different. Like I have no doubt that if I did not quit alcohol, I would be dead mm. today. Mm. Um, so my purpose was huge. And I said earlier, you know, fitness saved my life. It was at that point I was working at a gym in Hong Kong and I'd just come back from New Zealand. I'd got back and I'd been like, right, I'm not doing it. Now, all of my mates were still going out in the purse. My partner at the time was still going out in the drink. Um, and I remember talking to this girl at my gym and she had been an addict. And she had her parents had put her into rehab and she'd done four years of drug and alcohol rehabilitation. So she was a teetotaler. And I was like, how do you do this? Because mm. I have so much anger and frustration and like I've got no vent, you know, because for a long time, you know, my venting was either my training or my drinking. Mm. It was one of the two. So I was training and stuff during the week, but then my venting and my escapism and, you know, getting away from reality 
in the weekends, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. But all my friends were out doing it. So I was like left at home being like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, you need to find a hobby. I was like, dear God, okay. So I ended up, I actually ended up getting into triathlon. And I found a triathlon company. If you've ever met endurance athletes or triathletes, they don't really drink. Mm. they've got no time to drink they've got no time for relationships highest divorce rate in the world but you know like it's one of those things and i started i joined the triathlon club and then i found out that i was really i got really good at it very very quickly Mm. and soon that became the goal so in the weekends when everyone else went out on the purse i would get up at four in the morning and go out for these six hour rides out of the airport on the bike with a whole group of other people who absolutely understood what i was trying to do Mm. so not only did i have this purpose i had a new focus I had something else that I was passionate about that was giving me purpose um, and providing me success and the serotonin that goes with the success. Mm. But I also had this entirely new social circle of people who mm. absolutely understood what it was that I was trying to do and wanted to support me because they got why I was doing it because mm. they'd all been there. Mm. you know. And it's, it's funny because I remember when it came to, it was like the beginning of the end of my relationship and I actually went to this nutrition seminar in New York And the coach there, he really hated triathletes. He hated endurance athletes. He was all about weights. And he was continuously trying to use me as an example as like, because I was really lean. She does weights all the time. I was like, actually, I'm an endurance athlete. (laughs) The first thing he said to me was, what are you running away from? Mm. I was like, oh my God, that is so true. Alcohol, I was always running away from stuff. That was my coping mechanism. And triathlon or half Ironman, which I eventually got into, that was the new addiction. That was the new escapism. That was what I was using to escape whatever it was. And that's when I really started being able to be like, okay, so I'm doing all these addictive behaviors to escape what? Mm. And that's when you kind of start going, okay, maybe I need to reassess the rest of my life. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Yes. You're really sharp as like such like a embodied leader. leader of like of what you like. You can really see that. I'm a real life angel. You guys should be bowing down, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. Not true. <laughs> when you put this together, I'm gonna to have a halo. <laughs> a Beyonce's halo song is going on. It's gonna be a moment. <laughs> Let's just meditate. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, but you really show up as such an embodied leader. Like I can really just see like everything that you're talking about, or like the adversity, everything that you've gone through. Like it really, like me just looking at you, I can just be like, yeah, like that makes sense. And you can see that was much stronger and how tough you seem just going off the back of all those things that you've dealt with. So I want to talk to you about developing that toughness and developing that resilience. Like how was that? How do you do that? What's your go-to kind of thing? You know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I, mm. I have always made those choices. Mm. And I don't know if I was born with that. I don't know if it came from the people around me. I don't know if there was something guiding me to a greater purpose. Mm. Who knows? All I know is that every time something traumatic has happened or I've faced incredible adversity, I've chosen a path that is empowering and that I can then know that I can use those experiences to help other people. That's just how Hmm. that's just how I was wired. Hmm. And I don't know if you, if you learn that or whether you're born with it or whether it's a combination of the both. And I was just incredibly lucky to find that hmm. early on, but I've always done that. You know, hmm. I've always like, if I've done something wrong, I've known straight away that I've done something wrong and I've yeah. attempted to correct it. Like it's just the way that I was built. And that's the way, I don't know, I guess it's that moral compass 
that I've had right from when I was a child. And maybe it goes back to the army. Maybe it was the mm. fact that I had, I was part of this incredible community that was about doing the right thing, about saving mm. lives, about helping each other out. And that's what I grew up doing. I may not have gone to church, but I had this other community yeah. that had the same morals and the same values. And those are the ones that I live by. Mm. And I've never, ever questioned those decisions. Like, it's it's funny. I, you know, I think about adversity and it, it's true. Like, your adversity doesn't define you. Mm. What you go through, it's not who you are. Mm. It's those decisions that you make in the moments of adversity mm. that can define you. Yes. And it, there's a really interesting study that was done, like a longitudinal study. And it was done on a family where there was like a set of twins. So obviously they're genetically identical. They grew up in the same household. Their father was an alcoholic who beat their mother. Mm. And they were they were doing the study and they interviewed the kids at the time or whatever. And then like 20, 30 years later, they went back and they found those same kids because they wanted to know what had happened to them. Mm. And one twin was down and out. He was an alcoholic who beat his wife. The mm. other one was like super successful. And they asked them the same question in the study. They were like, you know, your father was an alcoholic who beat your mother. How did you end up here? Mm. And they both answered exactly the same way. My father was an alcoholic who beat my mother. What else was I going to do? Wow. They'd made mm. very different choices based on their environment and what mm. they thought was available to them. And again, don't know. I don't know. Did they get taught that? Did they think that was the only option? Mm. Were they born with it? Mm. I don't know. I think you make the choice to develop resilience. I've never had a victim mentality. Yes. I've never wanted to be pitied. I've always wanted to be able to help other people. And mm. that's like my troubled times. That's kind of the end game for me. I'm like, okay this really sucks that I have to go through this. But what if my journey, it's not about being a bad person, having negative karma. What about you're strong enough to handle this and you can use your experience to help somebody else. What if mm. that's the journey, mm. you know? Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, look, you're speechless. I feel oh. so proud. <laughs> Just, my job is done I'm just in, I'm just never in, speechless I can keep I'm just in awe you know what I yeah. mean like I just really love hearing you speak because I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying and I love wisdom I think that there's a lot oh, of we love. know you do you're like yeah, 24 wise as fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was wise at 24 it's taken me another six wait till 16 years man you'll be so wise yeah. <laughs> no but I feel like it's it's really amazing like what you're saying and I think that like people People don't really, really, really know themselves enough to be able to know kind of like, okay, where's my, where, where's my behavior and my thought process coming from? Because what I'm getting at is that like you were in a point where you were like, okay, look, you've always just kind of been resilient, always chose not to have a resilient mindset. Of course, that's come from somewhere. And like the studies, like of course, they've come from some in terms of our choices and we don't know enough about ourselves to be able to identify that mm. and it's like i think it's really really valuable for people to do a bit of a self-reflection self-inventory to be able to like okay so if i am always blaming others and it's always something happening to me why why is that happening why am i doing that is that an appropriate way to kind of react to situations is that is it probably not no so I think that what I'm getting at from what you're saying is I think is really, really powerful is whether you realize it or not, I think that you probably did a, maybe a micro reflection to be able to realize that that's not the way that you want to live and you chose to be able to be 
more resilient and not have that victim mentality, whichever way, if it was because you were taught that or whatever it is, there was still a choice that was made yeah. to do that. And I think that people need to really take a take time to reflect on the choices that they're making and then be able to make a conscious effort to make the right choice, whatever yeah. that is for you. <laughs> I want to ask you a question, Alexa. Knowing what you know now. Yeah. <laughs> Come in. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing what you know now, yeah, what is something... <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you wish you could tell your 15 year, 15 year old self don't date footy players no, <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> oh god <laughs> look to be fair we've heard that a lot yeah we've heard that a lot we've heard that a lot but they still do but they're 6'5 and 100 kilos of pure muscle <laughs> you're still dating them <laughs> myself be kinder to yourself mm. i was really really hard on myself growing up and mm. i really beat myself up for decisions i didn't it took me a long time to forgive myself for not mending the relationship with my mom i carried around a lot of guilt mm. and that affects the way you live your life mm. if you are carrying around a ton of negative emotions you're stuck in a negative feedback loop and that's going to affect your behavior and your interaction with others mm-hmm. you know if you're feeling guilty about some relationships you carry that guilt into relationships going forward you know and mm. i've allowed myself to put up with shit behavior because i felt like that was what i deserved and that's something that i carried forward myself Mm. you know and it goes back to what you said like in every situation you get to choose how you want to respond in that situation you get to choose whether to be a victim or whether to stand on your own two feet and stand up for yourself and have self-worth it's taken me a long time to find and protect and maintain my self-worth Awesome. Yeah, wow. that's a great answer. I thought I'm I had perf- you. I'm I glad. thought I had you. I thought the first one was better, but yeah. for all those young women out there, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that's awesome, and like. I've, I've really appreciated this interview because I think that we've been able to, you've been able to share with our listeners that are listening right now so much wisdom, so much things that are relevant that people can be able to start applying onto their lives. Because like we always say, like hearing all these things is all well and good and having the information, but if we're not going to take the steps to actually act on it and do something and implement to create that change, then it's really pointless. And I think that a lot of the stuff that you shared is really tangible. And I think a lot of people can relate to it to an extent. And I think that a lot of our listeners are going to get heaps of value. I hope so. Look, mm. I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned in the four and a half years that I've been doing mental health stuff, like, you know, speaking stuff within the mental yeah. health space, it's that even something as simple as sharing your own story mm. can often be the one thing that somebody else out there needs mm. to hear mm. in order to start having a conversation about their own. And that's mm. what this is all about, right? Starting important conversations, conversations that could then go on to save lives. Exactly. Mm. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I've got another question, right? <laughs> Yeah, you've been thinking. Deep. Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> yeah. you, you went silent for a really bit. Like, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Right. Check the cap number. Right. I'm here for it. <laughs> if you could tell your 24 year old self, who's your favorite between me and Nick? <laughs> Who likes Maltesers? I love Maltesers. I love Maltesers. All flavors. <laughs> oh, oh, look, you gave me far more detail there. There we what, go. Is it, is it really just like that? Is that it? That, that's yeah, I left, left a date because someone he took my Maltesers, like actually left him in the movie theater. Wait, what? What? Yeah, I told that story. Yeah, that's a story. As in, like when I first got to Australia, I went on a Bumble date and we went to the movies. And at the beginning, I was like, Do you want, he bought the movie tickets. I was like, sure, I'll buy the snacks. He was like, no, it's okay. I don't, I don't really feel like, it. and I was like, no, sure, because I don't share. 
Like I don't share food. Sorry, <laughs> but I just don't. And he was like, no, it's, it's all good. It's fine. And I was like, okay, cool. So I got some popcorn and some Maltesers and thing. And in the middle of the movie, he thought it was real funny to take my Maltesers. Like the whole thing? The whole thing. Like just literally took them off my lap and thought it was real funny. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. See ya. And that was the end of the date. Wow. <laughs> Savage. Wait, so do you... I feel like what I've gotten from this that's really alarming for me is you don't put your Maltesers on top of your popcorn and let them melt? Oh, no, I do. But he didn't give me the opportunity because he wow. took them. Wow. Mm. See? <laughs> you would never let that happen, Avery. <laughs> hey, yo. yo. <laughs> Look, I've... You're both perfect in my eyes. I know. We know. I know. We know. We were just telling you. It was a rhetorical question. If you picked one, you wouldn't air this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, but this has been awesome. Honestly, Alexa, you've been amazing as always. Like, um, always such a bundle of joy for us, honestly. Oh, bundle of joy. Good little analogy, eh? Told you, I'll pay you later. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you've got a lot of positivity and you have a lot of wisdom and a lot of like truth in what you're saying in real life experience that... People can get so much value out of this. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. Like, mm. I think the biggest piece of advice that I would ever have for anyone is never, no one ever regrets being kind. And if mm. that's all you take from today, just to be a good person and be kind, you'll never have regrets. Mm. So, I like that. So, <laughs> what we're about to do now, you took our last demo. Yeah, I know. Oh, 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 I know. <laughs> Stop, Alexa, stop! We didn't tell you to talk, stop! What <laughs> <laughs> do you think this is, a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, finish up on the rapid fire. So I'm look, four now. Uh, you have to come up with a new question. Now, thank, don't you? I fucked it up. Yeah, for you. Um, <laughs> thanks, Action Alessa, for ruining our action. <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. Um, so we're gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. Oh no! Okay. So we know about your story. Now we want to get to know, you know, the real Alexa. Oh, shit. Okay. What's your first? Well, before I ask this, what's your last name? Tawazi. You ah, cool. My full name is actually real- hyphenated, Alexa Jane. So like, Alexa Jane is a pain. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, just so you know. Well, people had so nah, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so catchy, everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone, yeah. Yeah. Like, people are just jumping. You're like, jumping you, even the Adam X one. I was like, <laughs> Wayland, way off, way off. I'm like, damn, that was just that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I had a lot of crazy nicknames as me, uh, me too. Did you? Uh, yeah. Like what? Femme Fresh. Never have oh, you ever had no. Femme Fresh. Do you know what Femme Fresh is? No, what's that? It's not it's, a tampon, is it? No, it's oh, the. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Femme Fresh. I feel like Femme Fresh. Like, okay, well, no, is it like fem- a- it's what you clean, you know, the lady parts. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. It was similar, yeah. And oh, I had um, that's unfortunate. Feminine a lot. I had um, but like famine. Not fem- I had famine. Oh. Famine. Yeah. <laughs> famine. What? So people ask you for hunger all the time? No, I just oh, that was the nickname. Oh, Femi yeah. the famine, bro. It was oh, crazy. Wow. But life was. That I'm life telling was you, tough. It's being, me, man. Yeah, being, I have the standard ones as you can imagine. What? Nick, Nick Little Dick. Nick, Nick Little Dick. Yeah. Dick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nickelodeon. That's a shame. <laughs> so Did you buy a big car? <laughs> he does have a big yeah, car. Yeah. Have a big car <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, man. <laughs> but I'm telling you, like, being young, just a side note, being young and black in the early, in the late 90s, early 2000s, very different to what it is now. There was no black people at that time in Australia 20 years ago, 20 something years ago. Wow. Crazy. Bullying was crazy. Oh, I can crazy. only imagine. It was actually crazy. I remember, I remember in my school. I was slapped by a black chick though at school. <laughs> what? Yeah, for sticking up for somebody. And she came around. Her name is Demelza and she slapped me in the face. Bloody Demelza. What's See? she doing? 
I have no idea. Definitely but. not on the couch of Nick and Femi, that's no, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no so really, who won? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, we got our rapid fire question. So it's basically, we want to get to know you as a person, the Alexa Jane Towsy. Um, and we are going to ask you questions that's going to give the audience a little bit more insight into you. Oh, shit. Um, okay. One word, one sentence, max. And First no thing that comes into my head. Yeah, no time okay. to explain yourself. No explanations. Okay. Have right. too much time to explain. Now it's like, nah. Yeah. What you okay. say is that's it. Are you ready? And this would this would determine whether or not we air this or we fire you. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a big deal. Pressure, no pressure. Mm. Hashtag yeah. no pressure. Mm. Are you ready? Number one, Nick, make the noise. Wrong noise, wrong noise, wrong noise. Mm, 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 oh, I thought you were going to ask me what that was. Mm, and I was no, like, no, 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 no. Scary noise, scary noise. What? Scary noise, scary noise. Scary noise. Whoa. Okay, he's really bad at this. Nah, <laughs> That's it was scary, to be like, uh, like Jaws? ominous, ominous noise. No, no, it's just yeah, setting the scene. Oh, okay. just okay. set, it was setting the oh. scene. That's what you should have said. <laughs> mm, <laughs> like suspenseful. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're birdie. You're like, daddy, like that. Not too good. Not too. Not that. Not hey. that, 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 that. I know you made it. Hey, All right, ready? Miss mm. Alexa Jane, <laughs> what is your favorite mm. movie? Of all time? Yep. Braveheart. Oh, good answer. Miss mm. Alexa Jane, what is your favorite travel destination? Greece. Never been there, but it's on my bucket list. Good enough. Let's keep going. Very white sand. Yeah. (laughs) Miss Tulsi, what is your favorite thing, not including people, pets, or electronics? Caramel koalas. Oh, what the hell? Shit. I'm really good at this. She's really good at this. (laughs) You guys have forgotten your questions. That's how good I am. Oh yeah, oh, got yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the most attractive quality in somebody? The ability to make me laugh. What makes me laugh? We're gorgeous. Facts, facts. <laughs> already, and last one that you've already ruined and said, but we'll ask it anyway. What is your biggest tip or advice for life? Be kind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, lame. Nah, that that, honestly though, those that has been sick. That has been the most. I've really the best podcast. I'm your favorite. Yeah, well, you are the world's greatest podcast in the world. (laughs) The world's greatest podcast, as voted by Alexa, Action Alexa. Exactly, that's all that counts. Who else? And honestly, seeing that we have a connection now with Jacinta Arden. This is what? more or less technically <laughs> the official podcast of New Zealand. Yeah, so <laughs> more or less. I hope Jacinda's watching out there because I represent it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, gonna send it to her, but I mean, like, look, don't fact check us, but this yeah. is <laughs> this has been sponsored by the New South Wales, by the um, New Zealand government. So thank yeah. you, New Zealand. Thanks, Jacinta, and we're Love really happy. Work. Love your work, you know. Love your work. Is she had a baby yet? I think she has. I think isn't she the only. She's the only prime minister to ever juggle the two, right? Wow. Like, she's a legend she's of a woman. Incredible. I went into a chemist yesterday. And, and saw her. the, well, I wish I'd seen her. <laughs> I would have asked for an autograph for sure. 
But the chick behind the counter heard my accent because I think I can get away with it. But every time I get to counting to six, it sounds like sex and that it's awkward. <laughs> but she was like, oh, my God, she almost came out and gave me she gave me a discount on my product because she's like, your prime minister is fucking epic. And I was like, oh, I what? know. Yeah, I'm just like, what chemistry? So that? there you go. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that, though? Yeah, she just yeah. associated me with a prime minister. And was like, she's the bomb and you should get a discount. So thanks, mate. That's crazy. We need to start stocking up at that chemist. Yeah. yeah. And you need to teach us how to do a good New Zealand accent. Okay. Sex. 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 Done. <laughs> Beautiful. Not that hard. Let's get it. All okay. right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, Alexa, this was an incredible podcast. Like, I really just want to take this time to honor you. You've, you've shown up and you've just given us your all. And yeah. I really, really do appreciate that. 100%. So for people that are listening... If people want to connect with you, reach out to you, or just, you know, share the value that they got from this podcast, where's the best platform for them to reach you on? Probably Instagram, Action Alexa. If it's not on the gram, it didn't happen. Mm, facts. That's true. That's facts. And you know where to follow us, obviously. <laughs> that's it, obviously. <laughs> what a great ending. <laughs> obviously. Atnika Femi. Just in case you're a new follower. Atnika Femi. Atnika Femi. Atnika Femi. That's N-I-C-K and... A N D A N D F E M I. So yeah. at Nick and Femi for all of your um need, pleasure. All, all your pleasure. Yes, so it's audio pleasure, visual pleasure. Um, well, half of it is visual pleasure. Um, oh, because like you're ugly. <laughs> More or less. No, I'm just joking. Don't know, touch you know. me. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Femi's true kind. This is what he always says to me at the end of the podcast. No, That's what I have to go through. But no, I, don't. I, I think that. I think that Nick's a beautiful man. I know. I think that everybody's beautiful. No, you don't. I do. All right, guys. Peace and love. <laughs> I'm joking. No, he does. He does. He's upset. He does. No one knows what's going on right now. Not at all. Not at no. all. But this is where you have a theme song and you would sing And we outro. The outro. So, you ready? We're going to sing our theme song together. So oh, we are? Okay. Did you get the email that we sent you with our yeah. theme song? Yeah. Are ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. We are the children of Nick and Femi's brains and And that's a wrap. (laughs) Tune in to the next episode of Nick and Femi's podcast, Uncovered. Thank you very much. Love you all. Peace and love. Enjoy your day. Peace. (laughs)